Welcome to the Dash Mindset Podcast. I'm Sherry Ziedenbergen. You were born, you're gonna die, and your adventure is your dash in between. So make the most of it. Unlock your potential in all aspects of your dash by embracing your uniqueness and living in a way that's authentic to you. Not by doing more things, but by focusing on the right things. I'm a former corporate leader turned coach who's on my own journey, and I'm passionate about helping you on your journey too. So on the podcast, we'll explore how to live authentically by deciphering who you truly are and what you truly want. Are you ready to take a step toward designing your dash? Someday doesn't actually exist. So let's do it now. Welcome to the Dash Mindset Podcast. I am so excited today to have my friend Susan M. Barber, who I will refer to as Sue because she's my friend. Uh, so Sue is, she has a corporate background of over 20 years, a former IT director turned executive coach. She's a published author of the book, The Visibility Factor, and she's podcast host of The Visibility Factor Podcast. And I just so enjoy Sue, and I know you will too. So Sue, I'm going to let you take it from here and introduce yourself, please. Oh, well, thanks for having me on the show. I'm so excited for your new podcast. Uh, Yes, as Sherry mentioned so eloquently, I was in a corporate background for a really long time and did a bunch of different functions, sales, supply chain, IT. And at one point, the company was in you know, talks for a merger. And so I decided maybe this is time for me to explore other options. And I had already been doing some coaching stuff behind the scenes, thinking it was a good second career for me at some point. And that had to accelerate as part of this merger. And so at the point of leaving, I thought I have some options. I can go get another career job in corporate or I could start my own business, which is the most scary for me to do because I've never had one before. And so I took the leap and really wanted to help people learn how to be visible because I struggled with that in my career. And I thought, you know, I couldn't find a book on that. I wonder if there's a you know, a book out there and I couldn't find one that really worked for me. And so the dream was leave corporate, really start to help coach people on leadership, being stronger leaders. And that evolved into how can I help them be more visible, talk about their success, talk about their results and accomplishments in a way that works for them. And it's really authentic. And then the podcast evolved out of that. So it has been a fun journey over the last seven and a half years of just really learning how to take this business and help it grow, but also to help a lot of people along the way be able to talk about how great they are. That's so fantastic, Sue. And you are one of the most authentic people I know. I just uh, so appreciate you. And I love that you are willing to be vulnerable yourself in order to help other people be more vulnerable, more visible out in the corporate world. So can you talk a little bit about that? Because you said the journey's been fun, which no doubt it has been. Has every day been fun? <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about the vulnerability and just your general thought process as you both started your business and as you wrote the book. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say every day has been sunshine and roses for sure, no. Uh, but I think at the beginning, I didn't know what I didn't know, and maybe that was good uh, because you kind of learn as you go. But I found some great mentors and people that I could work with along the way that had successful coaching businesses already. And so I started to have conversations with them and took a few classes from them on how they started groups and that kind of stuff. But 
For me in the beginning, I realized I had learned how to be visible. So a little bit about my backstory is I wasn't being visible in corporate. I had a mentor who pulled me aside and said, you're not being visible at all. You're sitting in the back of the room. You're not speaking up. You're not representing yourself in the best way, nor your team, which was, oh my gosh, such a shock for me to hear that I was not only hurting myself, but also hurting them. And so I had to really start down this path of what does visibility look like for me? And so I spent a lot of time observing others, trying to see what I could adapt in my own way, and really capturing all those ideas that I ended up putting into the book. So it was good I did that. But at the moment of leaving, I started to go into this invisibility thing again. I started to hide a little bit when I started the business. I spent time building a website and I spent time trying to figure out the company name and get business cards and all those things that ultimately I can see now was me hiding, right? Being scared to do this, not going out and getting clients like I should have been. So it was a bit of an identity shift for me to stop being a corporate person and to start being this coach consultant that I wanted to be and to grow this business. And it was uh, this person that I initially met who helped me with my business stuff initially that talked to me about, why don't you write a blog? Why don't you write a blog? And I thought, I've never written a blog. I don't know how to write a blog. And I was so grateful that he helped me see that I could do that because what I was trying to do at that point was change my identity from an IT director at Kraft to become a thought leader, a leadership coach, all of those things. And that blog helped me establish that. So you talked about vulnerability. Like I talked about my stories in the blog and how I didn't know what I was doing at Kraft sometimes and that I had to figure it out and I made mistakes. And I, in my own eyes, probably maybe not in others, that I felt like I failed. And so all of that really helped me start to get some confidence into, hey, I could write a book. Hey, I could have a podcast. So I really believe that all the things we go through are teaching us and helping us prepare for the next things. And we just have to be open to that and recognize it's not going to be perfect. So I live from a place of imperfect action now, which I didn't before. I was all about perfection and that's just not a good place to be because it's not reality. It's not achievable and it's exhausting. No. Yeah, for sure. 100%. And we recognize that about other people that, oh, wait, perfection isn't an, an attain, it's not an attainable goal. But for some reason, we generally have the thought that, oh, but we should be able to achieve it, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I wore so that logical. crown proudly every day, you know? We're perfection queen. <laughs> so a couple of things you said. So the shift from from corporate to to coaching is, you know, something that, I mean, we're, we're constantly having identity shifts, whether it's, you know, when we leave school, when we become a parent, when we do all these things. And we don't really recognize that, I think, because we, it's expected. It's it's part of the, our over, overall plan, right? But I don't know if we've really, I don't know how much we've talked about this before, but you had no intention of starting your own business at any point earlier in your career, right? It wasn't like, you know what, this is this is part of the plan, right? It was just, hey, wait a minute. It kind of came out of nowhere a little bit, right? So yeah. that's a big shift. It's not part of the plan. So can you talk a little bit about, about identity shifts and how you work with your clients when it comes to shifting identity? I love that question. I've never gotten that question before, actually. Um, so 
yeah, so it was not my plan (laughs) to start my own business at all. Uh, Definitely not. You know, I came from a family who all worked for my company. And so I felt like I was the next legacy to continue the path down this journey of retiring from the company. And and at that time, it's changed a lot now for everyone who's listening. It probably sounds absurd to you that someone would stay at one company for such a long time. But that was the plan was I was going to retire from there. But I also recognized that there was just something inside of me that was saying, you could do so much more. You could do so much more if you could leave and figure out how to make this work and help other people in a bigger way. And I was helping my team and I was a part of a lot of leadership programs and mentoring programs and stuff. So I was helping, but I just felt like there was a bigger message I wanted to get out into the world. And so as I left, uh, that was, you know, I mentioned this identity shift happened for me. And as I have been coaching people, most of the time what happens is that somewhere along the way, someone made a comment to them, maybe even when they were younger, that they weren't good enough at something. And so they, they trusted that person or they believed that person and that story became true. And so when that story becomes true for you, you see the world through that story. So for me, you know, I'll just give you an example. I'm not good at art. I'm not good at drawing. I'm not creative. I lived with that story for, I can't even tell you how many years. And I don't believe it anymore because I've seen what I could do creatively that I didn't believe was possible. So what I like to do with people is open up a world of possibilities. I want them to start to see what's possible for them in terms of a career change, thinking of themselves differently, believing or disbelieving the stories, depending on which direction they're going, and kind of helping them to just start to look at themselves in a different way. And so I feel like my role as a coach is to share observations, but it's also to instill a little bit of belief in them where they may not have that for themselves and they may not have it from anyone else around them. And it's so fascinating. I can watch the shift happen in them as we're coaching. And at one point, it's almost like, oh, I... I could do that. You're right. I could do that. And they get all excited and motivated and then they want to go do stuff that maybe they just didn't think they could do before. So, and this happens not only professionally, but personally, right? There's a lot of things we want to do. You know, you're a huge traveler. There's a lot of people who would be scared to do that. But if they talk to you, you would be able to talk to them about, yes, you could do this. Here's how you do it. Here's what we've done. So I think people don't dream enough. I don't think people think about possibilities. They kind of just operate on automatic pilot. People like us are trying to help them see that they could have a bigger life if they want it. They don't have to do that, right? But it's their choice. But if they don't do something different and they wanted to, that's a shame, right? That's just losing out on the potential of what they could have in their life. One of the things I feared the most is regret of any kind and not regretting Mm -hmm. doing something, but regretting not doing something, which I know you do too. So that is so powerful, just helping people understand possibilities. And like you said, it's not, I mean, travel certainly isn't for everyone. Nothing is for everyone, but One of the things we do is encourage people to really think about, okay, what's possible for you? And if there's something inside of you that's wanting something different more, just helping them recognize that it's possible. So um, one thing that you said was somewhere along the way is is that you didn't know how you were going to start your business. You didn't know how you were going to do something. And that that holds so many of us back, right? One thing that um, happened to me that 
I've shared this story before, but when I was in the corporate environment and I knew there was something else I wanted to be doing, I just didn't know what it was. My husband said to me one day, you should start your own coaching business. And my immediate response, I remember where we were standing. I remember my reaction, everything. My immediate response was, how would I do that? And then I just immediately dismissed his comment. And then it took somebody else, which is often the case, right? It took someone else saying to me that I should start my own business. And I thought, huh. And so it started percolating. And I, I shared with my husband as if it was this new information, right? And he just looks at me, uh-huh. Yeah, that's 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 a great idea. Kind of like what I told you, you know, a few years ago, right? But but the how gets in the way so often. So how do you help people overcome that? The the question, how would I do that? Because we don't we don't know. Every day is an adventure, really, right? Yeah, it's so funny that you said that about your husband because I found my own coach and that's how <laughs> I figured out, oh my gosh, this is a job. I could have this as a career. Oh, this is so exciting. So uh, yeah, much much like that. It took me a couple of years once I talked to her about that. But yeah, the how is really a challenge. And that's just because you haven't done it before, right? Think about riding a bike. You've never done that. You never swam the first time. You never, you know, you don't probably remember being a child, but you took your first steps, right? Everything in our lives is a first, going to school, taking our first job. And I think what people don't do enough of is trust themselves. Trust themselves that they will figure it out. Trust themselves that they can ask for help. Trust themselves that they will find a solution. What we instead do in a place of more fear, I would say, we put, we put other people first. Well, that person is better at it than I am, so I shouldn't do it. Or I don't know how to do it, so if I don't know how to do it and I'm more of a perfectionist, it's better for me not to start, right? Because I don't know how to do it. And so I procrastinate. And then pretty soon I've forgotten about it or it doesn't make sense to do anymore or somebody else already did it. That's always the one that was getting me, what if I try to write this book and somebody else writes it first? And I'm so glad I had a wonderful book leader. <laughs> she said, Sue, there's probably books out there about visibility. There probably is, right? But they're not going to have your stories. They're not going to have your unique voice about you, what happened for you or your clients or your process that you have in the book. So I needed that to kind of talk me off the ledge a little bit like, okay, I can still write the book. This is good. But the book is an example. I didn't know how to write a book. I thought I write a blog every day. It shouldn't be that hard. It's way harder than I realized. And it takes a lot of vulnerability. It's like taking your baby and putting them out in the world and saying, look at my baby. Is it okay? Are you, do you like it? You know, so there's a lot of that that happens initially, but it's just, I want you to recognize that you can ask for help. You can take a one small step, one small step. And then you realize, oh, that wasn't that bad. It's the thought of doing these things that scares us. And if we could move past that and take action, it pushes the fear kind of into the background. And you realize that, oh, I did that step. Now I could do the next one and the next one. So I would just have people live by a place of imperfect action and just try stuff. Just experiment. And it is it is scary being vulnerable, but I mean, just creating anything. And what what we contribute to the world ultimately is our creation of thoughts, our services. It's coming from within us. And when we prevent ourselves from doing that because it's scary, we're just, it's kind of selfish, really. We're not offering our unique abilities to the world, but it is scary. I remember in mm -hmm. even, I don't know, in, in middle school when 
we'd have to write a draft of a paper of some sort and share it with someone. I remember that feeling of thinking, oh gosh, like I wanted to explain, hey, this is just my first draft. I, you know, I don't know if you're going to like it. It's just, it's a really scary feeling. It's, it's a little like being in junior high again, really. Now that I'm thinking about the feeling I felt at the time, it's kind of, we just kind of hold that, you know, throughout our lives. Oh, that's terrible that we're, we're taking anything from middle school and carrying it through for the rest of our lives. <laughs> yes, let's, let's go, let, let go of all of that. Well, can I share one other thing that I don't know if it would help people, Please. but when it made me think of it, when I was writing the book, uh, I wrote the book, you know, first draft, crappy first draft, everybody has that. And I gave it to my book editor to read. And she said, Sue, you're the most invisible person in your book about visibility, which was super hard to hear because I thought, really, I'm doing it again? Like it's a pattern I keep repeating over and over again. And so when she said that to me and I was at an editing retreat that she was giving and was lovely, there was a lot of other authors there. They were reading their stories and I looked at their books and I thought, wow, that's so fascinating. I wouldn't have expected a story like that in this kind of a book. And it made me think, okay, you're doing the same thing. Like you're trying to keep your book as very professional and very perfect. And it made me think about it. So for the probably the 17th time, I went back and rewrote chapter one again. And I wrote it with the actual story, but with a lot more emotion to it. And when I read it to her the next morning, I almost cried. And I thought, okay, now we're getting somewhere, right? We're getting to a place where people can actually connect to how I felt in that moment, just like you talked about, right? The the vulnerability of giving your paper to someone else, how I felt in the moment of hearing that I was being invisible and I wasn't doing the right things for myself or my team. Before that moment, I was a top talent. I, ha- I was getting the next promotion. So all those fear-based things were going through my head. Am I out of a career here? Do I need to start over? Do I need to leave? What do I need to do? Like you go into panic mode a little bit, kind of fight or flight. And I just had to give myself some grace and say, okay, now you know this, what do you want to do with it? So it's, it's those moments of vulnerability. I realized as I was writing the book that I was still wearing a lot of corporate armor. I didn't want to let it go. I didn't want people to see that I wasn't doing all the things that they thought I was doing in the best way. And, you know, as they read the book, I say, it's a, it's a good insight into Sue Barber. If you want want to know like my evolution, uh, you can read a lot of the stories that I went through. And a lot of them are probably surprising to people because I didn't share what was happening for me or that I felt like I didn't know enough. And now I can see, and it's so fascinating to me that I can see this now and I could not see it then, but my education is marketing and management. My MBA is in marketing, but I worked in IT for over half of my career. Was I really good at being kind of the liaison between business and IT? Yes, because I grew up in the business side. I was in sales and supply chain. What I didn't realize, though, is that I was giving everyone else in the IT organization so much more credit because of their experience, because of their education. And I thought I couldn't measure up to that because I didn't have an IT degree. But what I learned along the way and how much I learned from so many great people that I worked with is I knew how to talk about it in a way that the business could hear it. So I had my own gift, my own unique way of doing it that helped us succeed as a company. But in the moment, I was like, oh, you don't have an IT degree. What do you know? You should shut up, sit in the back of the room, let those people talk. So it took me actually leaving to see that. 
which is so fascinating to me that I lived it for so many years and could not see it. And, you know, it took my coach starting to tell me and unwrap these things for me and say, Sue, you're great. Like they're telling you you're great. They're putting you in leadership programs. They're saying you are a top talent. But I just inside did not believe that. So the more you listen to those stories that are holding you back, you will stay there, right? You will be holding yourself back then. No one else will. And so I guess just examine your own stories and see if they're helping you or hurting you because we don't always pay attention. And it's that reflection piece that I have in the the first part of the process in the book that I do because you have to slow down long enough to pay attention to what you think about yourself and where you're at. Right. And we just don't take the time to stop and even consider what the stories in our head are. And are they mm-hmm. actually true? We just accept them as if they're this the news. This Oh, this is what I'm telling myself. It must be true. Well, and right. I shouldn't even say as if it's the news because I, I generally don't believe the news either anymore. But, um, <laughs> but we just accept it as true, right? So um, I want to... I want to talk about the rise process. I'd like you to talk a little bit about that. But one thing that I want to point out too before before we get into that is just the fact that it was you were being invisible in your book about visibility and the fact that we do have this um in general we have this because of our whatever our identity is. We have this thought that oh I need to be professional, I need to be um you know whatever whatever that is. But if you were, you know, this professional, uh, reserved version of Sue, I wouldn't have that much of a desire to be your friend, you know, right? I mean, I wouldn't have as much of a desire to read The Visibility Factor. Who goes to a bookstore and thinks, you know what I really want to do? I want to buy another book that's professionally written, really dry, um, you know, just tells me exactly what to do in a very methodical way. Uh, nobody does that, but, but that we hold ourselves back with this thought that that's what people want, but we don't even want it ourselves. And so I'm so appreciative that you allowed yourself to be vulnerable enough to be your authentic self, to, to write a book in an, in, in, in an visible way, not an invisible way so that we could really see the, the true Sue. So I really appreciate that. Okay. So now I'd love for you to talk about the the RISE framework. And the first step within that is reflection. And in the book, you talk a little bit about a conversation you had with one of your clients and the fact that you shared, hey, this is the first step you need to reflect. And and this particular client was a bit uncomfortable with that, right? Which I think a lot of us are. It's like, wait, what? That's You want me to reflect? That's not something I generally have on my to-do list. So I'd love for you to talk about the RISE, the rise framework. <laughs> Yes. Uh, it, nobody wants to slow down long enough to think, right? So let's, we've got stuff to do, people. We don't have time for that. <laughs> real um, stuff. Real stuff, yeah. So yes, it's really fascinating to me. I The four-part process, the first part is reflect, then ideate, which is coming up with ideas. Select from the ideas you came up with and evaluate how you're doing. And it works out perfectly because it's not only the acronym for the process, but I also see it as a metaphor for helping people rise up and be willing to stand out, to shine, to talk about their own successes in the best way. So the reflect process is a list of questions that helps you start to think about visibility.
visibility, why you want it, what you're going to do when you get to this place of, oh, I can't do this. You know, how are you going to help yourself in that situation? And I wrote the book from a place of, I wanted to be like a, a virtual coach for people. And so I wrote it from a place of taking a client through it so that they could see that clients struggle with this. They could hear what my responses would be to that client and they could start to see themselves in how they would approach it. But when I teach the class about that, uh, I'm really just loving doing the classes for that because that is everyone's favorite part is the slowing down, writing out their answers. I give them time within the class. They may or may not finish it to do that part, but I want them to take the time and I'm kind of, you know, I've got them held in a room. So so they have to kind of do it for 20 minutes. And they all love that part the most because they just don't take the time to do that. And I wasn't expecting that. I actually thought, oh, they're not going to want to do this, you know, when I first taught the class. And they love it. So I really leaned into that a lot more in future classes because we just don't, as a you know, a culture and a society, we just are so busy and focused on the next thing. And we just never take the time to slow down and think about what we think, what we care about, what our priorities and values are. So that's the first part. The ideate part is looking at what other people are doing. Could you adapt it in your style? Doing something that other people are doing may or may not work for you. So coming up with any other, your own ideas, right? What are some other things that you might want to do? I have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of ideas in the book uh, that I've captured from what I did, from what my clients are doing, from what my team did when I had a team at Craft. And all of those, you pick two or three ideas from that as part of the select process. And I want you to think about when you select them, are those the things that are going to help you with what you came up with as your why when you did the reflect process? Because if it's not going to align with what you want from visibility, then those are not the right ideas from you. They may be things you're good at, but we're trying to push you out of your comfort zone. So when I taught the first class, I had an entrepreneur in the class. You know, it's generally for corporate leaders, but it's for entrepreneurs too. And she was in there and she said, I don't know, Sue, like I'm trying to think of ideas. And she was a new business owner. I said, what's the craziest idea you could come up with? And she said, I don't know. And she lived in New York and I said, what if you had something in Times Square that talked about your business? And she said, oh my gosh, that's unbelievably scary to hear you say that. And I said, okay, you don't have to do that. I'm just giving you something super crazy that is possible if you really want to get there, but you don't have to do it today. But like, let's get you out of your comfort zone and try to think of something bigger than where you are. So I asked some questions like that to help people start to get out of their head. And then the evaluate part is really interesting because you get feedback from other people about how you're doing, but you also self-evaluate. And the self-evaluate part is really, I think, the best way because you're going to start feeling different about yourself and how you're showing up before anyone else notices. They're going to see things from you, like maybe you do something in a meeting that's different, you speak up for the first time, or you ask a question and you have never done that before. But you're going to have to keep doing it. So I believe in consistency and intentionality, planning your questions ahead of time, knowing that you, you're you going to have an opportunity and try to take it when you have it. People won't realize that. They'll just think that's a one-off. And the more you do it, then they're going to say, wow, you know, she's really showing up differently now. I'm seeing a lot of confidence from her. 
that's what makes people pay attention. And so then your feedback is going to come from them. But at first, I don't want you to get discouraged and think, oh, no one's saying anything to me yet. They're not giving me feedback. It takes a little time for them to realize that it's a change that you're actually doing. You are going to feel it first. And to me, when you start feeling it, you start acting more confident just naturally. That is, I love the 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 framework and I love the, because I can visualize, I like the the, the visualization of someone actually climbing stairs and, and rising. So um, I also love the fact that mm-hmm. your, the, the response you're getting from people in the workshop and the fact that they actually enjoy the process when you give them permission and hold them hostage and um, don't allow them to leave because really sitting down <laughs> and you and I both know this sitting down and just like, okay, now I'm going to take time to reflect. That is not something we naturally do. I, what is this word reflect? Like who even thinks, you know, to, to take time to do that? I used to think it was such a, I mean, when people would talk about journaling and all those things, I thought, yeah, yeah, okay, I already know what I'm thinking. Why do I have to take the time to write it down? It's not productive. It's not on my to-do list. But really, I, I do appreciate you sharing that people actually enjoy it. And, and okay, let me ask you this. Did anyone say, oh, that was super easy, Sue? <laughs> what was their initial reaction when you said, okay, you're in this room. I want you to take time to reflect. What was their initial reaction? I mean, you could just look at their faces and see. <laughs> you want me to what? You want me to answer a bunch of questions? Like I'm paying for this class. Why hmm, couldn't I have done this on my own? And yes, I could send it out as pre-work, but my guess is that most people won't have time to do it. So that's why I didn't do it that way. Yeah. Or they'll think they won't have time. They won't take the time to do it. Yeah. So, and of course, visibility is a new thing for them because most people, you know, come into this workshop, not totally understanding that visibility is important. And especially, you know, if you think about when you start out your career, your performance is important, right? Because you have to show that you can get things done, that you can accomplish things, you can make decisions. And the higher you go, you have to get things done through others, right? As you have a team and you're taking on more and more responsibilities and getting visibility for yourself to get those opportunities is important. So it doesn't happen if you don't talk about it and it doesn't happen if you're not finding ways to get in front of decision makers and show them what you can do, that you can add value, that you have a lot of talents that they may not have seen yet. Uh, Trying to do things that get you in front of them is kind of the what we talk about in the class and in the book. The more you can do that, the more they see you consistently. And then they're, it's a no-brainer for them to say, oh, of course, I would love to have her take this role. She'd be great at it. But if they can't see you as the person in that role, then they're not going to think of you. So it's up to you. I always talk about like my responsibility to talk about visibility from a book perspective from the podcast to help people. That's my responsibility. But your responsibility as a person who's learning about visibility is to find ways to keep getting yourself in front of the right people to help you get whatever it is you want. You know, your dream, it may, your dream might be, I just want to go to the next level and that's perfect, right? Take that opportunity to get in front of them. What do you have to show to get that next promotion? What do you have to be able to do? What do you have to let people know? So it's it's really getting very clear on what it is you want and then picking out actions that are going to help you get there. It sounds so simple, but that is really what we're talking about here. And I, I try to let people know 
baby steps. Let's just take one baby step today, right? You don't have to take a big, big step. One baby step that you can take that moves you towards what it is you want. And then you're going to take the next one and the next one. But most of the time, you know, we talked about the how earlier. It's that fear of, I don't know how to do this. You don't have to know how to do this because you're going to get help from people. But the more clear you are, it's going to help you take the right actions to get in front of people. And the more you talk about what you want... I promise you, I had the most accidental career you could have. I did not have a plan. I, you know, of course, in my first role, I probably had more of a plan, like I want to get to the next level in sales. But I got pulled into different parts of the organization because I had demonstrated my success in one or the other, right? But over time, this is the funniest part again, and right? So crazy. I was probably in the last, I don't know, year of my time at Craft, and I was leading a women's employee resource group. And we invited this panel of people to speak about their career. And this woman got up there and talked about how someone had asked her to do something. And she said, you know, I could do that role, but I have no passion for it. And I don't think that's what you want, right? You want someone to take this role who has passion. And in my head, I thought, I've taken so many roles that I probably had no passion for. But the company said, Sue, we need you. Sue, you're going to be great at this. You should go do it. And so I did it and I learned a ton. I'm not, I'm so grateful for everything I got out of every experience because it taught me so many things. But I thought, look at her. She's making a choice about her career. She's planning what it is she wants. And I didn't do that. So you know, all of these lessons, you know, that I think I've learned and I've seen other people go through, I'm trying to share them with people because I think a lot of people think these things, but don't talk about them. Oh, that's so good. The accidental career. Yes. And we, I'm with you, Sue, is, oh, we need you in this role. Okay. It doesn't sound terrible. (laughs) I can do that, right? I, I just thought, well, I can do that. So I should in a lot of cases. And I'm with you. It's not that I have any regrets about any particular roles, but I didn't take the time to really think about, okay, why am I doing this? And does it really align with who I am and what I truly want? That's something that I had not taken the time to really Mm -hmm. consider. So often as humans, we have this mentality of, okay, well, I'm either going to do this or I'm going to do that. And the In our heads, we make so many things so much bigger than they actually are. So I love how you talk about just taking steps because it might be, okay, I know that, that, so neither one of us is saying to the world, okay, you should go start your own business at all, right? But if someone does have something inside of them that, that tells them they might want to create their own business, it, it, it's this, it seems like this insurmountable goal. It seems like such a big thing. Then we, we, we ask ourselves, well, how would I do that? Oh, I don't know how. Okay. So I'm just not going to do it. And I'm going to keep, you know, operating on autopilot. But what I love in the book is how you break these things down into small steps. You, you have these tactical, these tactical frameworks, these tools that allow people to simply take steps. And it doesn't take additional time because we're all, we, we, you know, we're all so busy. We have so much to do. None of us is begging to invite additional work to our lives, right? Additional stuff because, oh, we're just sitting around, you know, wondering what to do with our time. But the way you lay it out in the book allows people to take it and actually do something tangible and break it into steps that don't take additional time. It really just takes reflection and 
the thought that, oh, I'm going to incorporate this into what I'm already doing, right? So could you talk a little bit about that, Sue? You know, what I found is that I thought that way too, right? I thought I don't have time for visibility. And I actually was, my thought process at the time was that feels like I have to play a lot of political games, right, within the organization. And I have to like show up as somebody that I'm not, and that didn't feel authentic. And thank you for saying earlier that you see me as authentic, because that's really one of the goals that I have is to show up, you know, online, in person as the same person, right? I don't want to be someone who's not authentic at all times. And I think for me, that's what I struggled with is I'm going to be bragging. I'm going to be doing all these things that aren't me. And so I could feel that kind of in my bones, right? That this is not what I want to be. But when I started to come up with ideas or see what other people were doing, what I realized, and this is so cool, you're just offering to help. You're just sharing information and you're going to be doing that anyway in a meeting. So for example, if someone's in a meeting and we're talking about maybe some new reports that they want and my team was doing reports, for example, I would say, you know, my team would love to help you with that. If you'd like our help, we'd love to put those together for you. What is that doing? Me speaking up, talking about what my team can do, that we'd love to do that for them, that we have the capabilities that we, you know, I could add to it and say, you know, we've already done some reports for this group over here and it's really made such a difference in them being able to make quicker decisions and to see more transparency in their area, you know, with the numbers that we pulled. So that is giving people information. I'm just offering to help. But when we make it bigger in our heads, like, oh, God, what am I going to say? And that's what happened. My head would not spin totally, but inside my head, it was spinning a little bit like, I don't have a good question to ask. I don't know what I'm going to say. And then I would go into fight or flight, right? That's just your, your head trying to keep you safe, right? So it's trying to prevent you from having some scary thing. And in that moment, the stress of not knowing what to say feels to your body like there's a tiger out there waiting to attack. And so you have to recognize that it's keeping you safe, but that's where planning ahead of time can help. Coming up with a list of maybe five questions that you think you could ask in this meeting, thinking about what the topic is and do you have something you want to comment on, going on and tagging on to someone else's question. So if someone says, blah, 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 situation happened, say, I'm so glad you mentioned that because I have seen the same thing happening and here's the impact it has for us. I'm just tagging on to someone else's response or question. So those are simple ways, right? You're not doing anything different. You're in the meeting anyway. All you're doing is showing up in a bit of a different way than you would have before. Like for me, sitting in the back of the room, I started sitting at the table. I didn't sit at the back of the room. Then I had my team sit at the table, which scared them to death. And I said, you know, I'm right here. I'm not going to let you fail. We're going to prepare ahead of time. We're going to talk about what you're going to say. And it made such a difference. And so it's these little things that feel like they're not a big deal that can become a big deal when you do it consistently. In the book, Lean In, I think we've talked about this before. In the book, Lean In, she talks about um, sitting at the table. And it's one of those things when Mm -hmm. I read it, I realized... I often wasn't sitting at the table because I wanted, I was just a nice person. And I'd say, oh, I'm okay. I'm okay sitting back here. Go ahead and sit at the table. Yeah. And just, it's so funny because as you've said too, so many of these things are simple. It's just, we don't take time to, they just don't occur to us. We don't really take the time to think them through. We're just operating on autopilot. But I felt so 
gutsy the first time I thought, I'm just going to sit up here at the table. I'm not, I'm just, I'm, you know, I know there aren't enough chairs, but that's fine. I was here first. I'm going to sit at the table, but it's so funny how, I mean, that was an identity shift in itself. I just felt like, okay, but I'm still being a nice person, right? I just, it's just, it's so our brains are so fascinating. They're just, they're fascinating and they, they hold us back in so many ways. One thing I would love for you to talk a little bit about, uh, is the fact that, so this is something you shared. So I, I taught a graduate class for the first time this semester. It was so fun. And it was especially fun the night you came and presented to the class, Sue. And um, I just want you to know how much the the students enjoyed the experience. Uh, they brought up a lot of the tools that you shared in their final projects and their their intention is to, to use them going forward because you shared how tactical and user-friendly they were. Anyway, in the class, you shared that. of our visibility is based on our performance, only 10%. And I know I'm not saying that quite the right way, but that was, that was really, that floored a lot of people, including myself, because I think especially, I'll say especially in the Midwest, we kind of have this, uh, we're hardworking, you know, we're heads down. We just have this thought that, okay, if we work hard, we're going to be, people will notice, right? If we work hard, it's going to get us to where we want to be. And that's not necessarily the case. So could you talk a little bit about the the 10% and share it in an eloquent way? (laughs) Yeah, of course. Yeah. So uh, that was a really interesting time because that person who wrote that book is someone who came to speak at Craft, And I'll share the link with you so you can put it in the show notes. But he wrote this book and he came in to speak and I heard him talk about what does it look like to have career success? And I was going through this whole lack of visibility thing at the same time. So I felt like he was a gift that showed up for me. And when he talked about it, he said, you know, 10% of what you spend your time on for career success should be performance. And then the other 30% is image and then 60% on exposure. And I thought, oh my gosh, all of my time is being spent on performance. What is wrong with me? (laughs) Like, why did I not realize that that was something I should be doing? Now, probably my image was probably pretty good, right? I had a good reputation of delivering and executing and getting things done. But at that moment, it was this huge aha moment for me. Like, what are you doing? You need to shift what you're doing in order for people to see you differently. And so I really was thrilled to be able to highlight that a little bit in the book because I don't know that everyone has read his book and it came out years ago, but so impactful for me. And it's so impactful for when I talk about that in presentations with people in workshops because they don't know that either, right? None of us knew that. And so now that we know it, we have a responsibility to do something different with that information. So that's really where I was so grateful that he came to the company. I don't know who asked him to come speak, but I was so glad that he did because it helped me really think about things differently. What is the saying the when the teach when the student is ready to learn, the teacher arrives, something like that. So it just yeah, that's yeah. When the student is ready yeah, when the student the is ready, appears. the teacher yes, appears. Yes, yes. So mm-hmm. yeah, you were you were ready, yeah. and I'm sure it felt like he was talking to you that day, right? I would have felt that way. <laughs> like, what? Who invited this guy? Yeah, <laughs> me, yeah. me personally. Yeah. Okay. So, okay. So I am enjoying this so much. So one thing that uh, I have a couple questions left for you, and then I'm going to let you get on with your day. What would you tell 
a younger version of yourself, knowing what you know now, if you could go back to a younger version, I'll let you pick the age. What would you tell yourself? So if, if I'm thinking about some of the things that I learned along the way, one is to be able to ask for help. And it's not a lesson I learned early enough. And so I share that with a lot of people now that it's okay to ask for help. You're not a weak leader by asking for help. You're actually being smart. You're, you're asking people to help you to get to the answer faster instead of kind of spinning on that answer yourself and making it harder. And so I didn't learn that early enough. And so Luckily, I had a director who said, Sue, it's okay to ask for help. I ask for help all the time. And so it's almost like he gave me a permission slip to say that it was okay. The other one that I think I've recently been talking a lot about is the importance of being respected versus liked. And we talked about being liked earlier, right? I want someone to like me. I want to be seen as perfect. All of these things, we kind of grow up in a, I want to please people, right? I want to make them happy. I want harmony. But I think what happens then as a leader, especially a leader of people, or when you have much higher responsibilities, they also want you to be respected as their leader, right? They want to be able to follow you. And when you make decisions from a place of like, that is you kind of hiding, you know, some things that might be great about you or not talking about them because you're worried about what other people think. And so if I go back to what I talked to earlier about trusting yourself, the importance of trusting yourself and recognizing that you're in this position for a reason, you know a lot of things, and so you need to rely on yourself to make the best decisions. So I just uh, recorded my own podcast about this earlier, so it's it's kind of uh, top of mind because Leaders who progress in the organization, what is it that they have? They have courage. They have the ability to make decisions in crisis or in tough decisions around chaos is happening around them, and they are the calm one. They're the ones who can figure out what to do. They develop their teams. They're really great at doing that. People want to work for them. People want to follow them. But that comes from them starting to recognize that they know their stuff. They know what they're doing. They trust themselves to make the best decisions. And so I grew up like, I want to be liked. I don't want to say the wrong thing. I don't want to upset people, blah, blah, blah. It's not really what I would hope for you. I want you to think about how can I make a decision, explain it to people in a way that is still kind. I'm not being mean about it, but they're going to respect me a whole lot more because I did it. Oh, that's so good. And it all goes back to vulnerability, vulnerability in showing who you truly are, Mm -hmm. being less concerned about being liked. I mean, we're still humans. We want to be, we don't want to get kicked out of the tribe, right? But it it all goes back to being vulnerable. So you're, (laughs) you're basically, the visibility factor is kind of another version of um, a Brene Brown book. So I kind of feel like I'm practically friends with Brene Brown. Sue, by being your friend. I love that. The whole thing, right? That was my, uh, when my book person who led the group said, you know, what do you want your book to be compared to? And I said, I would love it if they would compare my book to Brene Brown in any way, shape or form. I love her too. And I think she's so brilliant around vulnerability and shame and all the things that she talks about. And one of my initial trade reviews, I think it was the very first one I got. uh, So for anybody listening, a trade review is what you get for your book when you're 
want bookstores to look at it or libraries, they get sent to like an objective organization and they review your book for you. And the first one I got, I got all A's, which was so cool because I didn't really know what I was doing. But like your cover, I got an A for my cover and a cover for editing and a cover for all the stuff. So that was really exciting because I had a team of people who helped me with that. And I was thrilled that they got A's because I think they would love that too. But at the bottom of it, it said, for readers of Brene Brown's Dare to Lead, you will love this book. And I thought, oh my gosh, it happened. Like, I couldn't believe it. My book leader was in tears when she read it because she said, Sue, that's what you wanted to happen. And now it's happened. So I was so, <laughs> I was blown away that that's what that person said. Because I don't know that person. They don't know me. You know, it's very objective. They have no idea about the book before they read it. So that's really what they felt. And that's what I was hoping people would feel. So it just felt so validating that all the things that I wanted to happen, I was able to, you know, put forth in the book and people can, can feel that from the book. That is amazing, Sue. Oh my gosh. That is so exciting. And I mean, when I was reading Dare to Lead, Brene Brown's what I really, what really resonated with me was the points at which she was vulnerable and she shared stories. And I thought, oh my gosh, it was as if she had been following me around, right? Because those are the <laughs> things when we, when people relate to us and we can relate to their stories. So just like in your book, everyone can relate to the stories you're sharing, at least Mm-hmm. You know, some of them, everyone can relate in some capacity, no matter what their experience. So that is so cool. Oh my gosh. How exciting. How exciting. That is so cool. Um, okay. So I love that. I love that for you. So everyone read the visibility factor. I'm going to show it in case I ever actually use this video. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's, it really is an amazing book. And now, you know, it's, it's, it's like reading Brene Brown's work. So that's amazing. Um, okay. So Sue, Tell the audience where they can find you because they absolutely need to. Oh, well, thank you. So uh, I'm on LinkedIn a lot. So you can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, I post a lot out there. I'd love to connect with anybody who's listening to the show. Just, you know, reach out and say, hey, I heard you on Sherry's The Dash Mindset Podcast. And uh, I would love that. And also, you know, my website, susanandbarber.com has information about the book. I have videos about the rise process. Uh, I have a whole bunch of stuff there. You can also get to my episodes there for the podcast. So you can check out the podcast and um, you'll hear Sherry Ziefenbergen actually was a guest on the podcast too. So you can hear her episode. And uh, yeah, it's just been a really great thing to put as much as I can out there to help people. And so that's kind of my goal to add value every day. So I hope everyone took away some nugget today that will help them be more visible. I have no doubt they will. No doubt. Thank you so much, Sue. Okay, well, I'm sure I'm going to talk to you again later today because that's kind of how it rolls for us, right? (laughs) But I appreciate you being here so much. I have no doubt that the audience got a ton of tactical information to take away. And as long as they just take some time to reflect and incorporate it into their lives, then, you know, it'll be super helpful. So thank you so much, Sue. This was so much fun, as always. Thank you and congratulations on your show. I'm so excited that you got it out into the world and I have listened to your episodes and I know it's making a difference for people too. So I'm so excited for you. Thank you so much, Sue. And thank you for being my guide through all of it. (laughs) I love that you started your business first. You started your podcast first. It's been super helpful for me. So thanks. Follow follow me along wherever I go. It's totally cool. (laughs) All right. Thank you, Sue. Thank you. 
everyone for being here today. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for listening to the Dash Mindset Podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe on your favorite podcast player, tell your friends, and leave us a review. Follow me on my social media platforms highlighted in the show notes and get in touch with me at thedashmindset.com. Share the topics you'd like me to explore in future episodes. Thanks again for listening to the Dash Mindset Podcast. We'll see you next time. Design and differentiate your Dash, your way, and make today amazing.